A few years ago, I stumbled upon a talk called Gifts of Love that completely changed the way I think of gift giving during the Christmas season. Today, we're sharing some of the highlights and cliff notes from that talk and why we feel like it's so powerful and so true. We're talking about the calendar system that our family uses to make sure we're keeping Christ in the center of our Christmas every day by doing very small and simple acts of service. And I'm sharing live with Neil for the first time this year the gift that I've tried to give to Jesus and to my family in secret by trying to overcome a character weakness of mine and improve personally in this one way to try to become more like Jesus. Also, if you love our podcast. I get so many like text messages, DMs, emails from people saying this episode changed my life or that episode or that guest was so impactful or so incredible. If you feel that way and if you have just a second or two that you could go rate our podcast and then leave a review, that would mean the world to us. It is so helpful and it's the only way that we can get discovered on Apple Podcasts. So If you feel that way, if you've heard anything, any episode at any time that has been positively impactful for you, we would love it and appreciate it so much if you'd go leave us a quick rating and review. Right. Hello. Hello. From Black Friday, Cyber Monday week, Thanksgiving week, all of those things. That's when we're recording this, but... It is going to be going live on Cyber Monday. So to you, happy Cyber Monday. We will be, as you're listening to this, if you're listening to it on Cyber Monday, furiously searching for deals and posting them and doing all that we've been doing in the last eight. This is this is actually going to be like our ninth Cyber Black Friday and Cyber Monday that we've done. That's so, a long time. It is a long time. But going into this season, this is my favorite time of the year because I love Christmas. I've loved it ever since I was a little girl. I've just loved that thrill of seeing Christmas lights and being excited about Christmas and, you know, moving from the stages of being so thrilled about what Santa was going to bring me to just knowing that it was going to be a season where people were more happy and cheerful and giving and in a better mood and that there were special traditions my family would do. And it's just the time that I've looked forward to more than any other time of the year my whole life. How do you feel about Christmas? How does anyone feel about Christmas? No, not everyone is obsessed <laughs> well, actually, with Christmas. Well, actually, no, that's true. I, no, I love Christmas. I think I think it overall, so much of it just comes back to a feeling. Yeah. Like you feel there's, you, you can't help but not feel amazing or feel kind of the excitement in the air in general. And I think as a kid, it's, it's thinking about presents or, you know, different things, but I don't know, as you get older, you, you realize it's kind of what it's really all about and where it all stems from and why you feel that way. And, and for me, it, it is because of really who you're celebrating, yeah, which is Christ. So it's awesome. Yeah. And we've had definitely Christmases together and separately where maybe life isn't awesome, but it, for me, during the Christmas season, even through those really hard times, it provides an opportunity for me to be focused on things that do make me happy and keep me my mindset in the right place. So today we're going to talk about how to give a good gift and know that it's a good gift. And this stems from one of my all-time favorite talks called Gifts of Love by Henry B. Eyring. It's an amazing 45-minute 
BYU classic speech that he gave back in the 80s, I believe. And he just talks about how to know if a gift would be a good gift. So he gives this whole analogy of this dad who came to him and said, uh, and I think this is when Henry B. Eyring was still like the president of BYU-Idaho or in some type of leadership in either BYU or BYU-Idaho. Anyway, he had this father come to him and said, we don't have a ton of extra money, but I've got this daughter who it seems like she needs a car for college and it would be a big sacrifice to us. So I'm trying to decide if that's the right thing to do. Would it spoil her? Would it be good for her? Would it be good for our family? What should we do? So Henry B. Eyring responds in a story and he tells a story of how to know if a gift is a good gift. And he tells the story of how his mother died when he was a boy. And and actually, I don't know that he was a boy. I think he may have been an adult, but he talks about how his he was with his dad and his brothers and his mom passed away. And he went home and his aunt and uncle brought over a bottle of cherries, of canned cherries that they homemade canned cherries. And he talks about how that was the perfect gift. And he talks about this theory that he comes up with. He says, I've been building a theory and I think it's finally ready to be shared at least among friends of this university. Because again, he was giving this speech at BYU. Here it is, the iron theory of gift giving and receiving. As near as I can tell, the giving and receiving of a great gift always has three parts. First, I knew that Uncle Bill and Aunt Catherine had felt what I was feeling and had been touched. I'm not over the thrill of that yet. Second, the f- I felt the gift was free. I knew Uncle Bill and Aunt Catherine had chosen freely to bring a gift. I knew they weren't doing so to compel a response from us. The gift seemed, at least to me, to provide them with joy just by their giving it. And third, there was sacrifice. Now you might say, wait, how could they give a gift for the joy of it and yet make a sacrifice? Well, I could see that sacrifice, I could see the sacrifice because the cherries were home bottled. That meant Aunt Catherine had prepared them for her family. They must have liked cherries, but she took that possible pleasure from them and gave it to us. That's sacrifice. However, I have realized since then this marvelous fact. It must have seemed to Uncle Bill and Aunt Catherine that they would have had more pleasure if we had the cherries than if they did. There was sacrifice, but they made it for a greater return, our happiness. Most people feel deprived as they sacrifice to give another person a gift, and then they let that person know it. But only expert givers let the receiver sense that their sacrifice brings them joy. So I thought that was a really cool analogy where he talks about you know, giving something because number one, you feel what that person has felt, you know, you understand where they're coming from, you feel compassion for them. Number two, it's given with no strings attached, it's freely given, not expecting a response or a certain type of performance and, you know, in exchange for the gift. And third, that you sacrificed something, that there was something that you gave up. And I thought that was a very good theory for good gift giving. And I made Neil listen to that talk with me on the way home from where Arizona. Oh, Arizona. Yeah. yeah. We listened to it in the car while our kids watched some movie in the back seat, And it's just such an awesome talk. What are your thoughts on that, Neil? Yeah. I think I love the concept because you really, 
it comes down to, I think a lot of it is expectations or intent behind a gift and talking about having a clean motive and approaching it in the right way. And, and I don't know, it's easy to think of. And a lot of times I'll think of like, oh, you know, the extravagant or, you know, maybe something, wow, this, how amazing would be to give, you know, this big expensive gift. But oftentimes it's, it can be quite the opposite. It can be something so simple, but due to circumstances and situation and how it's received and and kind of what's going on and how it's given can be so impactful. Um, I remember for me, like one of the things my, my, my brother died when I was in 12, 13, he committed suicide. It was, it was really tough time for our family. And so, you know, that was, I was just a kid and I don't know, I just because of grief and struggle, like I just didn't want to eat. Like I just wasn't hungry at all. But I remember the, our bishop or the, like the leader of our congregation for, for our, our church, he, his wife came by and she made this big, it was like a big tub of chocolate chip cookies. So, I mean, there must've been like, I don't know, 30 or 40 chocolate chip cookies in there. And she just very simply was like, Hey, I wanted to bring, I don't even remember exactly what she said. She just, she just said, Hey, I want to bring these by for you, you know, for you and your family. Um, and you know, something along those lines, really simple. I talked to her for a minute on the doorstep, but like I could not pass up some chocolate chip <laughs> cookies and milk. And for me, that was just, it was like an amazing gift that I still remember to this day, like just because of this, what was going on. And I knew that, you know, it, it was a, it was a baked good. And she was the wife of our, you know, our bishop. So I'm sure she was super busy and had a lot going on. And she took the time to bake some cookies and bring them over to us. And that, for whatever reason, that just stood out to me. And when I heard this talk, I thought about that, um, and some of the overlap there and it was just really cool. Yeah. I remember too, when we got home from being in Utah and when Dave passed away and doing all the funeral stuff, I remember one of our neighbors who I didn't know that well yet, Jessica came over, Jessica and Darren came. Well, did Darren make the bread or did Jessica? I think maybe, I can't remember. Oh, that's right. And they brought this warm homemade bread. And it was this kind of the same thing. It was just like concept, heartwarming, so thoughtful. I don't remember if, if he made it or she made it, but they just came over, didn't stay long, brought us this warm homemade bread, gave us both a hug. It was just so thoughtful. And they weren't our best friends. They weren't people we're super close with, but they just are our neighbors and wanted to do something thoughtful. And so I've thought about that a lot of times too. So as he goes on, Henry B. Iring talks about some gifts of love that he received throughout his lifetime or that he witnessed. And so he said, he talks about his dad giving him the gift of time and teaching him tirelessly over hours and hours and hours how to be a better math student. And he kind of talks about this chalkboard that was representative of this gift of his dad's time and how he just spent hours teaching him and pushing him to get better and to be more precise and figure out these complicated math problems and how that gift of time was just everything and that it marks off all of these, you know, he understood why that would be meaningful to Henry and he gave it without, you know, like 
expecting a response, but just wanting to freely give and that it was a sacrifice of his time. I think so often when we get busy as adults, especially our time is so limited and that's a lot more impactful than just money or sending a gift, which obviously is thoughtful. But, you know, I think back to that episode that we did with Kristen Andrus and she talks about philanthropy really being about time and not money. And I think especially during the holiday season, we're all busy. We're all so busy, but giving of your time, you know, throughout the year, but especially during this time too, when everyone is really busy, it just means a lot, I think, to people. And so I want to talk about something that's really cool that our church does that truly anyone can do, even if you are not religious, even if you don't belong to our church, or maybe you belong to a different church, or maybe you're not religious at all, but our church does this really cool thing called Light the World. Every December, they've been doing it for the last six or seven years or something. And if you go to lighttheworld.org, they have a calendar of different ways you can light the world from starting on Tuesday, November 30th, which is tomorrow, all the way through December 25th. So starting tomorrow and all through the Christmas season, different small ways every day every day that you can do something to give a gift to the Savior. So if you are trying to focus on Christ or even just focus on giving during this time of year and putting goodness out into the world, they give you a small idea of how to do that each day. And I love these ideas. And, and doing Light the World each year for the past several years has completely changed the meaning of Christmas for our family. And it has brought that reality of celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ into the center of what we're thinking about and what we're trying to do each day. And I've loved it so much. So let me just share a few things, a few ideas that they have on here. So tomorrow is Giving Tuesday. So they're encouraging people to find a charity to donate to or or your time, money or time to a charity, you know, that's doing good in your area. You can also go, our church has these really cool giving machines. They are like vending machines, but you pick something like a goat for a community or didn't we buy a goat one year? I think we did for like a or, com- community in a, some area where that was, that was the need was like farm animals or yeah, and a then meal for whoever that went to. Yeah. That's something that will help feed their family for however long that that goat, you know, that they can have that goat on their farm or chickens, or um, you can buy like first aid kits or shoes or, educational supplies to be sent to people in different countries. And so instead of buying, you know, soda pop or a snack or whatever, and having the vending machine, like, you know, like the little loop-de-loop thing. What do you call that thing? The little... I don't know. I'm not a specialist on I don't know what it's called either, but but you know what I'm talking about. You push in your little like A3 and then it dispenses. Instead of getting something, you literally walk up, you pick something in the vending machine and it does dispense, but it doesn't come out. It, it just drops, drops to, to the, the bottom. Floor. Yeah. And then that's the, the, the floor of the vending machine. I, those are all gathered up and then um, kind of 
they digitally take transmit yeah. that into whatever you bought um, and, and, and deliver that to the out. community based off of what they collected out of the giving machines. Yeah, that was so cool to have that visual for our kids because yeah. they're used to like going and buy. I mean, Lila does that all the stuff. time at oh, dance. She, she like sneaks a dollar or two to dance and then she'll buy herself like club soda or something yeah. at the end. And we're like, what are you doing? <laughs> but she, they very much understand the concept of a vending machine. So the first time we did that, they were just wide eyed, like, wow, what just happened? Where they, we picked something, the vending machine dispensed it. And then there was nothing to pick up and walk away with. It was like, oh, like we gave that we're to someone taking. else. We're not taking yeah. it home. It was really cool. And I think for kids, that can be such a powerful visual. So if you go to lighttheworld.org, you can find all the locations. There's more this year than ever before. I know there's one in New York. They're going to have it right next to the huge tree at Rockefeller Center. There's one in Las Vegas. There's one in Oahu, Hawaii. There's They're just kind of all over the place. Oh, yeah, Arizona. Mm. So you can look and see if there's one close to you. There's one in Provo and downtown Salt Lake. But if not, you can also find a charity that you want to give to for Giving Tuesday. And then throughout the rest of, that's kind of a more obvious one that a lot of people throughout the world donate to. And it's a great day that a lot of people come together and do a lot of good. But for the rest of the month, I love that Light the World gives us little ideas to give a gift to Jesus. So one of these is the wise man's gift. What wise man or woman has blessed your life? Share your love and appreciation. So that could be writing a text or writing a handwritten card or letter or calling someone or FaceTiming or doing a social media post and highlighting them. Like there's so many different ways you can do that. And it could take 10 seconds to write a text message, but that could just make someone's day to tell them, you know, this advice that you gave me or this wisdom that you shared with me changed the course of my life or whatever. Or maybe you tell your kids a story that of how someone gave you really great advice. And, you know, I just think any way that you can be giving a little gift to the Savior is honoring him during the Christmas season. And I just love that Light the World gives us all of these great ideas every day, just a, a very simple prompt that will help you keep Christ in the center of your Christmas. I love how it's set up in a calendar too, because I think it's part, so much of the struggle in, in giving or in, I think a lot of people, my, myself, I, I'm well-intended. I'm like, man, I really want to do something. I really want to be a part of something. I really want to be more active in my giving or time uh, serving others. But it's hard to really get the rubber to the road and and either create your own project or service opportunity, um, you know, but, you know, coming up, having something laid out in front of you that you can see each day that's doable, that it's not, you know, necessarily even it, a lot of it can be time. I think that that is really amazing how it's laid out, it's structured, it's organized. It's like, it's very simple just to be able to go to it. But then- not, you know, the powerful experiences that you can have as you do each of these things, or, um, you know, even if you don't commit to the entire month, like you, you have a few of these that are really, really cool and can provide really, op, you know, great opportunities to serve others and to be a, a part of that. Yeah. I want to go back to something too. Speaking of wisdom, 
last year when I was doing a lot of therapy sessions with my therapist, who I still meet with sometimes, but last year it was more of a frequent thing while I was really battling postpartum depression. And right around the holidays, because she would just kind of talk me through whatever I was thinking, whatever was on my mind. And I remember having this conversation with her about how do I make sure that I'm giving gifts to my children that they'll be excited about and they'll love and make Christmas special, but not totally spoil them. And she said, okay, you want the answer? I'm going to tell you how to make sure you're not spoiling your kids. So of course I am on the edge of my seat going, oh, this is going to be good. I'm Whatever she tells me, I'm going to do it. So she says, this is how you can make sure that you're not spoiling your kids on Christmas. She said, you know that feeling that you have when you're a little kid and you just can't even sleep because you're so excited for Christmas morning and it's hard to fall asleep at night and then in the morning it's hard for you to stay in bed because you're just like so, 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 have so much anticipation you just can't wait to see what Santa brought you. And I'm like, yes, of course I know that feeling. And I remember being that way as a kid for sure. She said, when your kids are teenagers, they should sleep in. And I said, really? And she said, yeah. When they're little kids, they should be thrilled by anything from a $5 gift from McDonald's that you rewrapped or, you know, some little toy or puzzle or whatever. But she said, the people who really have a hard time later on in life are the ones who still felt that way when they were teenagers because their parents went so out of, you know, the realm of normal, what most people get for Christmas and, and kept trying to recreate that feeling of, oh my gosh, I can't sleep. I'm so excited. And every Christmas was bigger and better than the last one. And as they get older, they need, it has to be out of this world, bigger and better and more extreme and more grand and more. And so she said, you know, what you set up when you do that is this expectation that it should always feel that thrilling to wake up on Christmas morning and have something that's just going to blow your mind. She said, if you want to keep your kids in a humble place, they should know like they're going to get a couple nice things or whatever on Christmas, but they should be able to sleep in. And I thought that was really interesting advice. So that's not necessarily putting a price tag on anything or whatever, but I think those expectations really are very important to make because I remember, you know, some of my friends who got like brand new, super nice cars when they were 16 or whatever. Then later on in life, when they had to kind of start over and they were newlyweds or poor college kids or whatever, it was a huge adjustment for them to go from getting these, you know, huge gifts and whatever they wanted and unlimited budgets and all of that too. Oh, now I have to be kind of at the bottom of the barrel. And, and so I am grateful for my, I remember I was like kind of embarrassed of the car that my parents gave me because it really, I mean, if you try to think of a beater, this was like the beater of all beaters. It had like one side of my car was like crushed in from, it looked like it had been in a pretty serious car accident, but really it was one of my half uncles who, tackled the other half uncle into the car and created this like it looked like the car had been t-boned or something so it was like you know had I don't even know what you call that like a big damaged dent on not even a dent it was really like crushed in on the right side 
and then the back window didn't seal properly, so it would always leak if it was raining or snowing. <laughs> um, one of the back windows that didn't have quite a seal, and then the front, like by one of the headlights, was resting, and there was rust on the white car, and um, you know, it just like it had a lot of character, that's for sure. But it was very different than some of my friends who, right when they turned sixteen, had these like brand new, super expensive cars. And this isn't necessarily just about cars, but this is just drawing from my own experience of looking back and feeling grateful that my parents, you know, they still, they definitely gave me a lot of great things and blessings. And, um, but they also, I was definitely in that phase of, yeah, I could sleep in on Christmas when I was a teenager, you know, I was still excited. Um, but I look back and think about when I bought my first car by myself and you were there with me and helped me negotiate that deal. And it was so exciting for me to buy, you know, a used car, but it was to me uh, my first new big girl car purchase and so thrilling to be able to pick out like what I actually wanted and make sure I could afford it. And, and I think that you know, it, those are things that I don't have the wisdom to understand or to know, but this therapist of mine who's now raised a bunch of adult children and has seen lots and lots and lots of people go through hard things and character developing things and, and has kind of that bird's eye view of what helps people along their path of growth and progression in life. That was her advice was to make sure that your kids Yes, they're so excited when they're little, but by the time they're teenagers, they should want to sleep in on Christmas. I just thought that was really wise and interesting advice that I've never heard from anyone else. No, I think that is very clear. I, I sh should I not be excited? I'm feeling bad now because no. I know there are moments where I'm still excited, you, but not you about the sleep, gift. You not would about sleep the gift. I would, I would, and I did sleep in as a teenager. My mom would come down and start singing "We Wish You a Merry Christmas," <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I just want to go back to bed. So you know, I'm guessing they they did that right. But interesting, yeah. Well, I can see where you're coming from. I, I mean, this isn't to make anyone feel bad who's maybe given their kid a brand new car, but just interesting advice to consider something and think, to think about. about for sure something to think about not necessarily like my advice from me but advice from someone who i consider a mentor and someone really wise who i think has a lot of life experience so i want to go back to the talk from henry b iring about gifts of love and share my own little experience about giving a gift to jesus each year and that is something that i started do you remember when my mom started that? I think it was after we got married. I thought she did it when you were a little kid. No. That was oh. a straw. Well, yeah, the straw. Okay. The so we do that with our kids too, the giving manger. And the giving manger is awesome if you're looking for a good um, structured way to get your kid, little kids involved in service. It's a beautiful book and little carved out Jesus and um, a little wood stand that looks like the manger. And we didn't have that exact one, but we had something similar to it where my mom had us do a little kind act or something like a little anonymous act of service each day, or, you know, we could do multiple in a day. And each time we did something for someone, we were supposed to put a piece of straw in the manger and then write down on a piece of paper what we did and put it in this jar. And we did that for several years and we would fill up the manger with hay doing things like, you know, made Brooke's bed or 
shoveled the snow for Stephen or did Stephen's dishes or or helped Jake with his homework. I'm just making these up. I don't remember exactly. But I just remember we would do these little things for each other or sat by somebody at lunch who was lonely. Like we just would find these little things to do for our family or for people at school or friends around. And it really made Christmas special because then on Christmas morning, we would read through each of those little acts of service that we did. And that was a great way to get us involved in giving during the Christmas season as kids. But when we got older, my mom noticed after one summer, uh, not sorry, not summer, but my mom noticed after one Christmas season that there was hardly any manger, straw in the manger because she had kids who were all grown up and going to college or living out of the home. And so she decided to change her method of how to get us to think about Jesus. So she instead gave us the opportunity to write down a gift that we wanted to give Jesus that next year. And so she gave us all like a piece of paper and a pen and said, okay, here, write write down a letter, write to Jesus what you're going to give him for that year and we'll seal it up. And then next year you can open it up and think about how that went for you and then do a new one. So What's really cool about that is I feel like as I've given a gift to Jesus, each year I've had a corresponding miracle that's gone with that gift to Jesus. So one year I wrote down that I wanted to really read the Book of Mormon, and it took several months for me to actually follow through with that, but that was the year that we were asked by our bishop to go be a ma and pa for Book of Mormon Trek, and I was so annoyed when we got that call. Because I was breastfeeding Annabelle at the time, so I literally looked at our bishop and said, so you want me to pump every four hours while we're tent camping in the middle of nowhere and go be this volunteer couple on this youth conference? And he looked at us and said, yep. (laughs) And I was seriously so annoyed. I'm thinking there are so many other adults in this church congregation who do not have little kids, who certainly don't have nursing babies that you could ask instead. But that turned out to be one of the biggest blessings of my entire life because we went on that Book of Mormon trek and I just was so inspired by the youth that were sharing their testimonies, these burning testimonies of the Book of Mormon, that it finally inspired me to go home and actually open up my Book of Mormon and read it cover to cover for the first time in my life and read it like a story, read it with real intention to understand it and and gain a love and appreciation for it. And that was the gift that Christ gave me in return for wanting to read the Book of Mormon. Another year, I had the, the, the idea of trying to give the gift of being a good missionary and sharing the gospel with others more. And I struggled to find a way to do that, but I started to share my testimony online and on Instagram. And that was the year that my friend Natalie Carley asked me in an email after sharing an Instagram post through Light the World about my favorite scripture. She responded to that and asked for a copy of the Book of Mormon. And and then the following year she was baptized. And it was just like such a cool miracle to be part of that I felt like Jesus gave me in return for giving that gift of wanting to read the Book of Mormon. So do you know what my gift was this year? Um, I'm sure once you say it, it'll be obvious to me, but right now I'm not totally sure. You're not sure. Okay. That's okay. Well, I this will be a live experience where okay. I'm telling Neil well, let's here. Let's do this together. 
what my gift was this year. So last year, last December, I was struggling to figure out what to give, get a gift, like what gift to give to Jesus. And I had just started reading the Book of Mormon over again. And I read this chapter and the certain parts of this chapter popped out to me in a way that they never had before. So if you are familiar at all with the Book of Mormon, there's um, the son Nephi who's like, you know, really righteous, does what he's supposed to do. He follows God. He's um, really obedient. And then he has these brothers who are pretty wicked and they they like try to kill him when they're frustrated that they don't get to be the leaders and they don't really obey God. They don't obey their father when he asks them to do certain things, except for when he says, go get yourself some wives, then they happily run right back to mm -hmm. their hometown and, you know, pick up some wives and come back. But anyway, there is a part in this true story that Nephi shares in the Book of Mormon, because the Book of Mormon really is just, it's a record of people who were believers in Jesus Christ. And he, Nephi shares this experience of when they get on this boat, because Nephi is told by God to build a boat and they build this boat and then they cross the ocean and they go over to the Americas from Israel. And um, cause his dad was a descendant of Joseph from like Joseph and the amazing Technicolor dream coat. So it all kind of comes together when you read the book of Mormon and you make sense of who these people are and how they got to, the American continent. But anyway, so they're on the boat that, that Nephi built. And this whole story is that the wives of their brothers start to like, they get drunk, they're dancing, they're kind of becoming rude and they're making fun of Nephi and they're just mean to him. They tie him up and the brothers want to kill him. And it's this pretty dramatic story. And every time I've read it in the past, I've been kind of judgmental, like, wow, why are these people such losers? Like, why they? Why can they not get it together? Why can't they just be obedient? Why do they have to be like so awful to their younger brother who's just trying to obey God and lead them? And it's been super obvious they had like angels appear to them that he is the one that's supposed to be in charge. And why can't they just get it together? So I'm reading this part and then these certain words just popped out at me. So if you want to go, if you have a Book of Mormon or if you have the Gospel Library app, if you want to go to First Nephi chapter 18, and you can read along. I start, it starts on verse 9. And these were the words that popped out to me. And also their wives began to speak with much rudeness. Gay they were lifted up unto exceeding rudeness. Behold, they were angry with me. And they did treat me with much harshness. And it came to pass that after, or sorry, and it came to pass that the compass which they had been, which had been prepared of the Lord did cease to work. So instead of like their wives began to make themselves merry, they began dancing, singing, speaking, speaking with much rudeness. Um, and, you know, Nephi said, please don't do this. We're going to be swallowed up. And then they were angry with me and they bind me up. They did treat me with har harshness and they, you know, and then the compass stops working and then they, you know, they're in this terrible storm. And anyway, that's the real story. But to me, these words just popped out. Their wives began to speak with much rudeness. They were lifted up into exceeding rudeness and they were angry with me and they did treat me with much harshness. And it came to pass that the compass, which had been prepared of the Lord, did cease to work. So one of my character weaknesses is 
Neil sometimes says you have an anger management problem, <laughs> which is true. <laughs> I can just, sometimes it's hard for me to, um, to not let out my feelings when I'm angry or frustrated, or I can be rude or harsh. And I know that about myself. And when I read this chapter, those words really just popped out at me. And I thought, this is, this is God speaking to me through his scriptures. And I know that this is what I need to work on. So every day in 2021, I started my scripture reading, first reading these verses and just trying to remember that if I speak with rudeness or if I'm angry or harsh with my husband or with my children or with anyone in my life, that the compass or the spirit, which has been prepared of the Lord or that gift of the Holy Ghost, which has been given to me, will not work if I'm behaving in that way. And so that's the gift that I tried to give. I don't know how well I you did. You did an amazing job. But, well, and I I will say, I mean, this is all non, we didn't talk about this before this podcast, but I definitely have noticed um, a difference and totally seen like changes um, and I don't know, that's something that I've always thought was really cool about you. I think that you can set a goal and make a decision <clears throat> to adjust something that's really difficult and, and make it happen and do it. And it's cool to be on the other side of that, to, to see it. And I see it and I recognized it. So thank you. Well, it was for, it's for Christ. I shouldn't <laughs> be saying thank you, but it, it, thank you for being so willing to do something that I know is challenging at times. Well, I don't know that I, it will probably continue to be a lifelong journey, but I feel like as I've tried to ask Heavenly Father for help in overcoming that character weakness, that he's helped me and made it easier for me to just bite my tongue or say things in a nicer way or, you know, control my like knee jerk reaction to just be rude or harsh or blow up or whatever at my family. And maybe for you, you're listening to this and thinking that is not my problem. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. But whatever your character weakness is, that's one thing that I think you can give as a gift to Jesus is to look at something that you know that you could be better at. And each day, like in just one simple way, maybe you find a scripture, that's what worked for me, or you find a quotation or you find some type of daily reminder and for a year you try to just remind yourself each day to be a little bit better. And there definitely were days where the next day I would open up the scripture and go, oh. so this is how Henry B. Eyring says what I was trying to say, but he says it so much better. He says, you may well want to give a gift to the Savior. Others did at his birth. Knowing what we do, how much more do we want to give him something? But he seems to have everything. Well, not quite. He doesn't have you with him again forever. Not yet. I hope you're touched by the feelings of his heart enough to sense how much he wants you to know you are coming home to him. You can't give that gift to him in one day or in one Christmas, but you could show him today that you're on your way. You could pray. You could read a scripture. You could keep a commandment. If you have already done these things, there's still something left to give. All around you are people he loves and can only help through you and me. One of the sure signs that a person has accepted the gift of the Savior's atonement is gift giving. The process of cleansing seems to make us more sensitive, more gracious, more pleased to share what means so much to us. I suppose that's why the Savior spoke of giving and describing who would finally come home.
that's just one of my very favorite quotations of all time. And I just love the idea that while we're so worried about getting deals and finding the perfect gift and wrapping things up and giving things to the people we love, that I promise you, if you pick something that you can give to the Savior, and if you're not really sure where to start, you can start by looking at something you can refine in your character or something that you can try to improve that would make you more like Jesus and do just a little bit each day and become a little bit more like him, that that's what, if everyone in the world would do that, we would have a much happier, more peaceful and giving world. And that's why like in the Book of Mormon, you find times where they say, never was there a happier people. It's not because they had lots of cool stuff or they didn't have hard times or nothing bad was happening to them. It's because they figure out how to be so charitable and kind and Christ-like to each other that they're just happy, even through the hard things, even through whatever trials or challenges they're going through. They're just happy people. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think of the one, you know, just from like a principle, eternal, you know, principles and beliefs that we hold in our church and understand to be true. And, and one of the main principles is agency is that we all have the ability to choose between right and wrong. And, um, God never intervenes on our agency. So when it comes to giving a gift, I think a lot of the things you look at commandments or the things that he asks of us have to do with our agency and, um, have to do with us maybe, um, making, choosing and, and taking that gift of agency to do good or to do things that are in line with, um, helping others or, or, you know, feed my sheep. That was one of the, uh, the charges that, that Christ gave to, to his disciples. And so that's really what it, you know, I think it comes down to is taking that gift of agency that we've been given and using it as a power to do something that will um, will bless the lives of others, and in so doing, um, will will bring joy and happiness to to God and Jesus Christ. So it's it's such a cool opportunity. I think um, the time of year and and what's been laid out before us to be able to do that. So if you are on Instagram, you can follow uh, along with what we do as a family and what I you know, we'll try to do individually through this Christmas season. And probably if, if I can get to it, like I have in years past, share something each evening with the hashtag like the world. And that's been such a cool way for me to really stay focused during really our very busiest season of the year. As far as work goes, it's such a good reminder for me to keep things centered on Jesus Christ and and make sure that each day I'm doing one little thing. And again, like I said a minute ago with one of those examples of text someone, you know, or send a quick little note or an email or a Facebook message or whatever that, to someone who's given you some wise advice at one time. Like it, each of these prompts are so simple. They just take a second, but it will really bring Christ into the center of your Christmas. So You can go to lighttheworld.org to find that calendar and apply these little meaningful ideas to your Christmas season. And I hope that as you guys do that, that you will feel the Savior's love in your home and in your hearts and in everything that you're doing this Christmas season. So anyway, thanks for being with us today and we'll see you again next week. 
Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.